Hi, everyone. Welcome to Behind the Pink Ribbon. If you caught last week's episode with Kimberly Bowles, I have an update that I want to share with you. She is no longer with Flat Closure now. She is with Not Putting on a Shirt. So if you're looking to connect with Kimberly, please go to notputtingonashirt.org. Again, that's notputtingonashirt.org. I also want to thank you um, for downloading. I want to thank everybody for purchasing the book, if you have purchased the book. If you haven't yet, please go ahead and check that out. It is on Amazon and Amazon Kindle. Uh, It is called Behind the Pink Ribbon. On this episode today, I was able to talk with my friend and fellow Scar Project sister, Nikki Nims. She talked with me about her experience of having cancer at 35 years old and also being 33 weeks pregnant with a surrogate baby. Uh, She talked about some of the regrets that she had during her journey, and she really talked a lot about uh, the bond that she has with the surrogate baby that she feels like saved her life. So take a listen in. This episode is really powerful, and I think you're going to enjoy it. Welcome to Behind the Pink Ribbon, where we share stories, information, and other content related to breast cancer. My name is Melissa Adams. I am a 12-year genetic breast cancer survivor. I've learned so much through my own journey with breast cancer. I have met some amazing people along the way, many that have become lifelong friends. I have experienced the emotional roller coaster of a breast cancer diagnosis, heartache, anger, frustration, loneliness, and even gratitude. Through this podcast, we will speak to breast cancer survivors, supporters, and healthcare professionals to gain insight and understanding behind the pink ribbon. I am here with Nikki today, and we're going to talk about your breast cancer story, Nikki. So thank you first and foremost for being here. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Um, So just kind of to kind of preface a little bit, uh, you did share with me that you are a 10-year breast cancer survivor, um, that you were diagnosed with uh, stage 2B invasive ductal carcinoma. Um, Mm -hmm. So... Tell me a little bit about your diagnosis. Did you find the lump? Were you having a routine exam? Um, you know, how did that all happen for you? I actually found the lump myself while I was in the shower. And was that uh, through a self-breast exam or was it just by accident? By accident. Okay. So what were you, what were you doing? That <laughs> um, you just happened to find it? Like, were you washing? Like, um, so... I'm soaping up and I'm right-handed, got the soap in the right hand. Um, I was pregnant at the time, so I'm going along my belly and then underneath of where my breast hit my belly. And when I swiped my right hand from the left breast underneath over to the right breast, about seven o'clock on the right breast, I felt maybe like a grape-sized lump. Wow. That, okay. that I knew for certain was not there when I showered the day before. Oh my. Yeah. Like that's kind of scary. Yeah. People tell you, Oh, it, it just popped up overnight. And you're like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Like it truly came out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. Wow. So how far along were you in your pregnancy? I was at this point, um, 33 weeks pregnant. Um, it was a Saturday and I had a routine OB appointment on Monday. So I was just planning to address it and assumed maybe a block duck, you know, was happening. You assumed what was happening? Um, a blocked milk duck. 
Oh, got it. Okay. Sorry. You cut out just a little bit. Yeah. Sorry. That's okay. Um, so, so you didn't immediately think, oh my gosh, this is breast cancer. Um, I don't think I immediately thought that, um, once I went to my, my doctor's appointment that Monday and I saw a nurse practitioner who also, um, did a, a self breast exam on me, um, and felt it and said, no, it's definitely not a milk duct, you know, possibly, um, a cyst that, you know, could be filled with fluid. I think then I started a process that it was going to be something more. Okay. So then once you go and you have that exam done, they then send you for some diagnostic testing, I'm assuming? Yes. I had had an ultrasound um, done where, you know, she explained to me that if it was fluid filled, we could just aspirate it and go on about everything. And if it was uh, solid inside of the um, mass that I would need a biopsy. Okay. So you went and did the ultrasound and then did the ultrasound. Um, yeah. And funny thinking back now, um, the technicians that perform the ultrasound said, don't put your clothes on just yet. We're going to run this back to the radiologist real quick. And you know, like that was like a dead giveaway. Isn't that terrifying? (laughs) Like I think about that too, where I had been through so many different tests that I never, ever once, um, I had ovarian cysts as, um, in my, Uh in my twenties that I was constantly being, um, seen for. But when I went for the breast cancer, I remember her, uh, saying, well, we're going to bring the radiologist in. And I was like, oh, well shit. Like, yeah, that's a bad sign to perspective. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so once they brought, like, so once that kind of happened, um, and they asked you to not get trust, did they do anything further or was it just kind of like, okay, um, come back for a biopsy? No. Yeah. I think that they, they took the, the scans that, and I, I think I remember them explaining that they were going to show the radiologist and they might need a few more pictures. Um, but they came back and they told me, go ahead and get dressed and your doctor will call you. Well, I hadn't heard, um, anything that evening, the next day, the doctor called and said, you know, we're so sorry, it is a solid mass, we want you to have a biopsy. Um, So I set that up, and ironically, I I live in Maryland, and I live in a small southern county of Maryland, and the breast surgeon who would perform a biopsy in this area um, would not be able to see me for two weeks. Oh, gosh. After this ultrasound. Um, Now, being that I was pregnant, I was actually pregnant as a surrogate mother, and was using an OB in Annapolis, which is a much bigger area. And so my OB office arranged for me to see a breast surgeon in Annapolis, um, okay. where I had that that um, biopsy done within like a day or two. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that makes a big difference a day or yes. two compared to two weeks, <laughs> you know, and it's, you're kind of in that mode where you're like, okay, we just have to figure out what this is like right now. And being yes. 33 weeks pregnant, I would imagine puts a little bit more urgency. Um, yes, definitely. To that. So, yeah. So then you went in for the biopsy. Um, Had the biopsy. So um, this, it all took place, all of this diagnostic took place over two weeks time because 
I was down to visiting the obstetrician every two weeks. Okay. So I had gone in at 33 weeks and some days, which I guess was technically my 34th week or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had the biopsy done and I went, I was back in the OB's office for my two week follow-up and the OB said, have you heard anything? And I hadn't. So they made a phone call and my OB is the one that broke the news to me that it was indeed breast cancer. So she knew and nobody had called you up to that point. She hadn't known. She made a phone call to get the report. Oh, got it. Okay. And, and found out while I was in the office Okay. and then came and gave me the news. Oh, wow. And so was somebody there with you for that visit? Uh, no, no. I, I did everything by myself pretty much. Yeah. It was, it was really, really tough. I'm tough in some aspects. I'm a little bit more angered looking back, but I was in survival mode from the very beginning. Right. Um, I had two of my own young children at home. Uh, as I said, I was a gestational surrogate, so I'm carrying a child that is not mine. Yeah. Um, I mean, that, I, I just have, like, I am just in awe right now um, and kind of emotional because that is so, like, to be able to do that for somebody is, like, just. It's, a, it's be, amazing. Yeah, like, beyond anything that I could even begin to comprehend. And then in the middle of this, I mean, not really even the middle, towards the end of yeah. this, you end up with this diagnosis. And yes, so it's wrench gets completely tossed into the mix. Yeah, I can only imagine how challenging that must have been to have, you know, to be super excited to provide that to somebody, you know, to, to give somebody a baby. But then also at the same time, like now your life is, you know, kind of hanging in the balance of like what, what what does all of this what mean? To do. Yeah. Yeah. Oh I'm very gosh. thankful that I was so far along. Um, I actually had already carried a child for this couple. So we had a really good personal relationship. Oh, good. Um, you know, but it was scary for them also because yeah. they didn't understand the repercussions that, that may, you know, arise for the baby's sake and health. Right. Um, so it was a little bit, you know, just more involved, but like I said, it, it went great. I got the news and I just looked at my OB and I said, well, what's the plan? Cause I have things to do. Yeah. I have a baby to give birth to and my own kids to take care of. So what are we doing? Right. For sure. And so what did she say? Like, what was the, what happened from there? I mean, cause I would imagine that things had to move pretty fast. Yeah. She, um, she spoke with the breast surgeon, Um, and they had agreed that I could remain pregnant for two additional weeks. So when I was 37 weeks pregnant, I had a scheduled induction. Um, the original plan, however, was they wanted to do a C-section, put me under completely. And after the baby was born, go right into a lumpectomy. Oh my gosh. And I put my foot down. I'm very proud that I did it. Stand my ground. And, you know, having gotten pregnant through in vitro with this child, I said, I watched her go in. I want to watch her come out. Yeah. And I would have, I would think that that would be just a lot for your body to handle. Yeah. It, and, but things progress pretty fast anyway, even though they 
they allowed me to do the um, induction. I did that actually on June 1st, 2009, and... Um, she was perfectly healthy, seven pounds, three ounces. Oh, wow. Yeah. Adorable. <laughs> um, and I was scheduled to go back to the hospital and I had a lumpectomy on June 4th. Okay. Yeah. So it was a fast turnaround. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And, um, so after I had the lumpectomy, the breast surgeon called, gave me the news that they did not get clear margins. And, um, you know, recommended the mastectomy. And I immediately said, if you're taking one, you're taking both. Okay. Yeah, I didn't realize. um, Sorry. um, I didn't realize that it's very, very typical um, for people to have a lumpectomy and then have to go back in for repeated surgeries to get more Mm -hmm. because the margins aren't clean. Um, I actually have a friend who just within a month had three surgeries to try to get clean margins. So I was, I was really kind of dumbfounded by that. Um, you know, that that would even be the case. So they had called you, I guess they probably gave you two options. One was to go in and try to get clean margins or to do the mastectomy or she just was like, Um, she she recommended the mastectomy right away. Um, I, I don't, I don't remember being presented with another option. It was, it was a single mastectomy radical on the right side or my option to have both done. Okay. Um, so I went back two weeks later and had a double mastectomy. Wow. And then did you opt to do reconstruction? I did. Um, I, being that I was 32 years old when I was diagnosed, um, and it was a, a grade C, uh, grade three tumor. So aggressive, fast growing. They wanted to do very aggressive treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did know that I had planned, uh, a round of chemo followed by radiation and, um, opted to do a delayed reconstruction. Okay. So with the date delayed reconstru- reconstruction, um, they don't put in like tissue expanders or anything. Um, it's just kind of waiting and seeing what happens after the radiation. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I, I would dub myself as being fat and flat. Okay. <laughs> because I was, you know, completely flat up top with no boobs, but I had just delivered a baby. So I was, I was fat. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, but I, but, joked, I joked about it. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's a hard topic. Um, and there's, there really truly is nothing that's funny about having cancer at all. But I do think that finding those little ways to bring humor to the situation really is helpful. Um, you know, just, just in trying to get through it. So, um, yeah, you know, it's keeping your attitude, you know, that, that's what projected me forward through the whole thing was just having the, the positive attitude. It wasn't, you know, what if this doesn't work? It was, this is what we're doing. This is what's going to take care of it. And I kind of never really gave my mind another option to think. Yeah. Just do what you got to do, get it done. Yeah. Yeah. So in terms of the um, chemotherapy, how many rounds of chemotherapy did you have to do? I did six rounds. I did um, the 
Taxotere, Adramycin, and oh, I can't for the life of me think what C is. I did the I did the TAC all together. Okay. And then was that like every other week? It was, I believe, every three weeks for okay. six rounds. Okay. And then were you doing radiation at the same time, or did they wait for you to get chemotherapy and then follow the chemotherapy with radiation? Okay. Yeah. No, I waited. I did the chemotherapy. And as you mentioned before with your friend, you know, the several surgeries part of it, I don't know. I, you know, each case is unique and individual to that person, but they handed me a prescription referral for another surgeon to go have a port place. And I thought I had been in for a lump, I'd been in actually for delivering the baby, then the lumpectomy, then the mastectomy. Yeah. And I looked at them like they were crazy. And I'm like, there's no way. Yeah. No. You couldn't have done that during the mastectomy? Yeah. Or presented so that I, as an option then? I, um, I refused. And I actually did the six rounds of chemo um, through IV. Wow. Yeah, so I don't know if they typically offer to do chemotherapy and radiation together or if that's something that is separate. I personally did not do chemotherapy, so I don't know. You know yeah, typically. I'm not sure. I don't think that I've ever heard of anybody doing them together. Yeah, I don't think so either. Um, um, so then how many yeah, rounds? I was very lucky. I was really lucky through chemo. Um, my oncologist had told me that um, – Usually how a woman reacts during pregnancy with morning sickness and whatnot is a good indicator of how they'll react to that cocktail. Hmm. And I had six pregnancies with no morning sickness, no sickness throughout wow. the whole thing. So I never got sick through chemo. Wow. Yeah, that's, first of all, I'd never heard of that. So that's a great little piece of information for anyone that might be listening and, and, you know, kind of wondering how they might respond to that specific cocktail. Um, but I mean, yeah, that's, you know, I, I hear a lot of times how women are just, some women are you know horribly sick, but then others are, you know, they're not impacted in that same way. So yeah, that was, um, yeah. definitely, definitely good. Um, so then how many rounds of radiation did you have to do? I did six weeks of radiation, which I went, you know, Monday through Friday for six weeks. Okay. And then, so with delayed reconstruction, you have to wait a period of time between the radiation and the uh, reconstruction just to kind of see how the, the tissue holds up over that yeah, course of right. time. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so mm -hmm. how long did that um, process take? Like how long bef between the radiation and the reconstruction? About six months. Okay. So it was uh, just about one year from the mastectomy date because it was about six months after I finished my treatment. Okay. And then um, did, were there any implications or any adverse impacts to the tissue from the radiation? Again, everybody's different, so. Yeah, um, I have a lot of scar tissue um, on that right side of my chest. Mm -hmm from the radiation and was told that, you know, a lot of times it loosens up with time, with gravity, you know, that the, the reconstructed breast might fall and give a more natural appearance at some point. It's been nine years since I had the surgery and it's still high and tight. Yeah. <laughs> While my left breast, who was unaffected, 
it sits more natural. Okay. Yeah, I would imagine um, that having skin that is irradiated would be tighter and not necessarily drop kind of like a natural. But of course, oh, yeah. I'm not a doctor, so what do I know? <laughs> yeah, and, and I wasn't uh, – I wish I would have been more picky with plastic surgery and with my options. But Why I was so that? anxious. Um, I think I jumped into it a little bit too fast. Um And maybe didn't research fully all of the options that were available. Okay. So what did um, you what did you opt for? I had a a deep procedure. Okay. And that's so, where they take your from the, the, um, the, the belly stomach. fat. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I you know had just finished having six pregnancies, so I was like, take all of this. <laughs> a tummy tuck in the um, process. Yeah, a very bad tummy tuck. Oh. You know, the scar is very high. I, I often used to feel intimidated at the beach in a, in a two-piece bathing suit that people would think, gosh, that was, that's the worst tummy tuck I've ever seen, mm-hmm. which, you know, that feeling ended up leaving me. I, I don't care what anybody thinks. Good. Good for you. But it's, but I can appreciate that, you know, initially, yes, you know, yes. It is. It is very intimidating. And, um, you know, you don't want people staring because they do like they're curious. They, they do. don't know. Um, and it's not, uh, you know, at least I hope it's not out of judgment, but just because they don't know. And it's, you know, not typical. Right. And um, people would just assume, I guess, you know, I was young. They wouldn't look at me and say, oh, well, that's, you know, that's clearly from breast cancer. Right. Yeah. 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 Where you might assume that with a, maybe a more older woman. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I'm going to just kind of throw in a quick story real quick. Um, an experience that I had where I was having lunch with my boyfriend at the time, um, who is now my husband, but we were having lunch and there were two men across the way and I could read the guy's lips and he was looking over at me and I had a tube top on and he said to the other guy, you know, do you think her boobs are fake or real? And the one guy was like, I don't know, whatever. And then the guy who was asking the question was like, oh yeah, those are definitely fake. And it took everything in me. And I was young as well, mm-hmm. was, you know, in my early thirties too. And, um, took everything in me to not go over there and be like, listen, my real ones tried to kill me. So they are fake. Like, you know, I just wanted exactly. to scream at him. So I can, I can definitely relate to exactly what you're saying where people don't associate that, you know, it's not, you know, the young, um, the younger population of breast cancer survivors are kind of overlooked just because mm-hmm. it is still considered, you know, a quote unquote older disease. Um, yeah. And, and along those lines, I also, had even family members who were being supportive but didn't realize how insulting it was when they said, well, you know, when do you go pick out your new boobs? (laughs) Yeah, it's not about that. And I'm like, it it really doesn't happen that way. No. No, and sometimes I think it's they don't know what to say, so they end up saying stupid stuff. Yeah. 
you know, and I, I, you know, looking now, looking back on it, I have a different perspective, but when you're in the moment, it's just like, that's like, you can possibly be that dumb (laughs) to say something that insulting. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, well, that's, that's, yeah, that's crazy. Um, but I'm glad that you're at the point now where you're just like, I don't care. Like it is what it is right. and you know, that you've, you've moved on from that space. I've, I've embraced it. My scars tell a story. Yeah, absolutely. So speaking of scars that tell a story, you were involved in a project called the Scar Project. I was. And so tell me a little bit about that. How did you get involved with the Scar Project? Why did you get involved with the Scar Project? Uh, well, I found out about David J and the Scar Project um, after being in the online support group with other women, and um, knew that he was looking for young survivors. Um, I believe at the time he may have even wanted survivors under the age of thirty. Yeah, but I took I, I took a chance. Did. I emailed him anyway and explained that I was thirty two, and if he was interested, I was willing. Um, so I thought it was, you know, would be a great thing. And I heard his story about how he got involved with it, with his friend Paulina and, um, arranged a weekend to travel up to New York city, uh, which is about maybe a five hour drive from where I live and had one of my, um, best friends from my uh, local area who went with me. And I also had two, um, online surrogate friends who I met in a surrogacy support group who uh, rode the train and came in for the whole weekend for the whole thing. Oh my gosh, that's wonderful. Yeah, had a really great, you know, girls trip yeah. out of it. Awesome. Um, yeah, and it was great. We you know, did the shooting, uh, all the photos in his studio in New York city and got to see the proofs. And, um, later, I don't remember exactly how much time had passed when he published the book. And I found out that my picture was included in the book. Yeah. Um, which meant when he did his gallery opening that my portrait was also life size pretty much. (laughs) Yes. On the wall in the New York City gallery. So I took my children with me to New York City um, that weekend for the opening. Oh, my gosh. And so why did you do it? Like, what what was it about it that just attracted you to say, I'm going to go and stand in front of this man with no shirt on and allow him to take photos? Oh, I, I'm just an open book. I wish people would would not assume things of me. And, you know, as we said, with seeing the scars and everything, I will tell you anything about my life. If you just ask, if you are interested in hearing it. Um, and so I think I just felt empowered and just needed to get out there and have a way to show, you know, the people that I knew in my area who, you know, thought, oh, this is such a shame that this has happened to such a young woman. And, um, you know, to show people that breast cancer doesn't discriminate by age, race, um, gender even. 
and it just gave me the the tools to to maybe present my story without being weird and saying, oh, I, I'm a survivor. Do you want to hear all about it? I could talk about the SCAR project and promote that and then get into why I was involved in being the survivor and everything. Yeah, that's great. That is, you know, and obviously that's how we met. <laughs> um, yeah. Because I'm also part of the SCAR project. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think that, um, you know, all, everybody has a different reason for doing the things that we do. And so, um, you know, I'm glad to, to hear your perspective in terms of why you had reached out to David J to do that. Um, so I, I have one more question that I'm kind of curious about. So you, um, it's, it's 10 years later that, you know, it has been since the diagnosis and since you gave birth to that child. Um, mm-hmm. And you had talked about being a surrogate for this couple prior to, and so you have a relationship and all of that stuff. Do you still have contact with the family? I do. Absolutely. And what is that connection with that child? Do you feel like you have a closer connection to that child or, you know, does it bring up emotions? Like what, I I just am kind of curious Um, about that. I say that she is my angel surrogate baby because she saved my life. If I was not pregnant at the time, um, had the extra estrogen in my body that fueled the tumor to grow. Then I, I had rather large breasts before um, I was diagnosed and I don't think that I would have found it. I think it would have been lost in, you know, all the, the fatty tissue of my breast, but being pregnant, I think brought it out. Right. And so I, I always just say that she saved my life. Oh my gosh. I'm like crying. (laughs) Because you know, that's amazing. Her parents and I talk about, you know, that that her and I gave each other life. I brought her to life and she saved my life. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's just, that is so true. And I love the fact that you still have a relationship with her and with them. Um, yes. And that, you know, I have no doubt that, you know, her birthday is is a pretty big celebration for both of you. Yes, definitely is. Yeah, wonderful. Well, that was so powerful that I think that's a good place to to kind of end it here. Um, so, thank you so much for being a part of this, um, for being that open book, for sharing your story. Because I I wholeheartedly believe that just allowing other people to hear the different stories that exist, um, you know behind the same disease is really important and you know hopefully it will help somebody else that's maybe in a similar situation so thank you so much absolutely thank you very much for having me absolutely thank you for listening to this episode of behind the pink ribbon don't forget to rate review and subscribe if you or anyone you know would be interested in sharing your story please send an email to podcast at behind the pink You've been listening to Behind the Pink Ribbon, produced by American Creative Consulting, mixed and mastered at Riverview Podcasting Studios. For more information, please visit designbyacc.com.